Much better. Okay. Uh, now, now you guys have to listen to me because my batteries won't go dead. Although that would be a great excuse. I just stopped talking. Okay. So, so the phase in starts today. If you are online, look for the links that'll be in your chat. It's uh, time with uh, uh, Pastor Jen will be be running it. We're going to have a time of story and some prayer uh, today. You're going to hear the story of Bryn and Jeff Olden. They've had a lot happen during COVID, uh, and so they'll fill you in on what's going on with their lives. Uh, you. See the chat box, or you can look at the link that came in the email today, or this week, or on the website. Also, as we begin these indoor services, as we start ramping them up, we are going to be needing volunteers uh, for a host of things, for setup, to sound, to lyrics, to cameras, to running new lights, because we got new lights in here to kind of help out with things that we're still trying to learn and figure out. If you're interested in doing that, uh, let me know, or email Jen. Also... We've asked, uh, many have asked for tangible ways which we could be serving our community. One of the ways we're exploring still is through Adams Elementary School. They're looking for volunteers to help assist during the school day. It'll be great ways for us to help out through uh, while we're at home. So if you're interested in this, you can also email Jen. Okay, uh, right now, if, if you're able to, we would like to pause and, and do a time of giving. Uh, you can give by texting this, uh, texting the word Bethany to the number 77977, and then it'll be automated, and we can do that all contactless. It's way better than me showing up your, at your door or here with, some, with a pen and, and asking for money. It's way less awkward. So here we go. If you go ahead and do that, through giving, we are still able to support many of our local partners as the Aurora Commons and World Relief, and so we're, we're able to keep doing that. So if you Pray with me. We'll continue in worship. Father, we do thank you uh, that we have the ability to meet. We have the ability to be here together. Uh, we thank you that via technology, we have a lot of ways to be with each other still, still being able to connect. And so we give you praise for that. We thank you for the use of those things and that we're in the ability to, uh, to connect with those. Lord, as we... Uh, Pause momentarily before we open your scriptures, God. Would you begin to speak in us, work through us, and open our ears so that we're able to hear maybe what your spirit is trying to teach us today. We love you. We thank you for all of this. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, we are in the second week of what we're calling Good Rain. Uh, we figure it's a very politically charged season in our world. If you haven't noticed, uh, it seems like every week there's something coming out new. Uh, so while we're in that season, we want to refocus our lives and our minds on the proper reign of our true king, which is Jesus. And so through good reign, we're focusing on where our hope is supposed to be. Our hope is not in an office. Our hope is not in a policy. Our hope is not in a politic of anyone or anything. Our hope is always and constantly in Christ. So there was this weird thing that would happen back in Jesus' day. Jesus would always talk about this coming kingdom. And when he talked about the kingdom, people got pretty excited because this meant that everything that they hoped and dreamt of was starting was, was going to come. That meant that Israel was going to be a superpower. It meant that, uh, that, the, that beauty and freedom and restoration was going to happen. This kingdom that Jesus talked about was what people desired and desired most. 
They wrote for years in the prophets about when the kingdom comes, it'll be this way. Isaiah would use these confusing metaphors that that swords would be made into plowshares. Uh, Joel talks about fire coming and, and things happening when the kingdom arrives. And so there was this constant looking forward to what the kingdom was going to be like. So when Jesus comes along and Jesus says the kingdom of God is near, people began to listen. And inevitably, those people would have a different idea of what it looked like when the kingdom came near. And so Jesus would be like, the kingdom is here. And automatically, they're thinking, oh, that means we're going to war. The kingdom is here. Oh, this means that we're just going to keep being Rome's little thing. The kingdom is here. And so everyone had a different idea of what Jesus meant. They would try and squeeze Jesus into their political construct. But the problem is, he never fit. And we still see that today, right? People try and take Jesus and put them into their political party. Well, Jesus would have been this, and Jesus would have been that. He would have been Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Socialist. He'd vote this way. And really, it didn't work back then, and it doesn't work now. Jesus never fit into a political construct, and we fail to understand that. Jesus didn't come to answer our political questions Jesus came to, did not come to solve our political problems. Jesus' mission was to, wasn't to improve the old message. Instead, his mission was to deliver a completely new way of doing life. This is why Jesus never fit into a political camp. This is why Jesus never fit into a construct. His mission And our desired outcomes never really match. So in Jesus' day, the problem was this. People would hear things that Jesus did, and they get antsy. So Jesus would start telling parables. And his parables were these elaborate illustrations to challenge those people who were listening and hoping that Jesus would fit into their views of what they wanted. This is a story about how, uh, and what's going on is the story that Jesus is telling about the kingdom is a story that's been going on for the longest time, but they were expecting a certain outcome with Jesus. But the problem is the story that Jesus was telling, the story that Jesus was embodying, wasn't necessarily about outcomes. We like to focus on outcomes. We like to say, if Jesus is this, then the outcome will be that. If Jesus agrees with me, then the outcome will be this. And we like to focus on the outcomes, but Jesus is sitting here going, I'm not about outcomes. You can't control the outcome. You can't squeeze me into your desired outcome. Instead, he, he, Jesus is about the process of the kingdom. In fact, most of the people in Scripture never saw the outcome. Abraham promised many, many sons, many sons. Father Abraham never saw his sons. He saw two. Moses never saw the promised land. The outcome of Moses, all of Moses' labor, he never saw the promised land. Joseph never saw his countrymen leave Egypt. David never saw the temple. It wasn't about the outcomes. Because the outcomes are what we expect. But Jesus comes, or the kingdom comes, and takes our outcomes and says, this isn't the point. The outcome is something that we would never expect. So Jesus gives his listeners some parables to kind of mess with them in a way. And these parables act as maps because these people are lost. 
and they're confused, and they want certain things to be in there. They're kind of in a maze. And so Jesus gives these parables to folks and says, here's a parable. And it might act as a, as a map for you in your maze. And if you get it and you're listening and you understand, you'll find your way through it. If you don't, you're too tied to your outcomes or too tied to what you think it'll be, and you're going to miss it. Because we often want God to act in our time. We want him to do the things that we want to do. We want him to work in the ways that we want to work with him. And when that doesn't happen, what takes place is confusion, frustration, and anger. So Jesus tells these parables to give a a map, so to speak, to those who are able to, they would readjust and change what they're hoping for. So today we're going to look at two parables. And these parables, they, they, they speak to our desire for specific outcomes. The first one is we want the kingdom or we want life to be this way. We want the outcome. We want it to be like. And when we say this one talks about we want it to be the vanquishing of everything evil or everything that we disagree with. So look at Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. Remember, these parables are maps. So let's dig in a little bit and see what's going on. The first thing we see is there's a field, and many say that this field will represent the world. The owner of the field, the owner of the world, sowed good seed, stuff that made sense, good wheat, wholesome wheat. The the word good means beautiful, handsome, precious, useful, suitable, admirable, pure, and noble. And there was high hopes for this seed. He put it in the field that it would grow and then meet his expectations. Yet that night, someone comes, and it's kind of a very dirty thing to do, threw a bunch of seeds for weeds right alongside of it in order to hinder the growth or sabotage the possibility of anything good that the farmer was planting. How would you feel if that was you? The enemy comes and says, I'm going to sabotage your yard. Here's a bunch of dandelions. You're like, but I just did this grass. Come on. It would, it, would, it would make you angry. Now, the weed that was sowed was this thing called a darnel. It was a type of weed that grew in the day. And when it grew, it looked exactly like wheat. So the owner of the field throws a bunch of wheat in the field. And then the enemy, we'll call him Satan, just to call him Satan, throws a bunch of darnel. Darnel mimicked wheat so much that the only way you can tell the difference between darnell the weed and wheat was to wait and so here you have it in the field of the world there is good growing right alongside evil so here's what happens in the text there's the dilemma then the owner's servant came to them and said sir Didn't you sow good seed in your field? What are you doing, God? I thought this was all good. Why is there wickedness? What do we have here? And the owner says, yes. Where where did did these weeds come from then, they said. 
The owner says, the enemy did this, he replied. And the service say, do you want us to go pull all the bad weed up? Pull it all up. The response is the same that we would have when we see evil. Bad things happen. God, why is this happening? Isn't this supposed to be all good? Watch what Jesus says back. God, why can't you do something about this? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling up the weeds, you're going to uproot the wheat with them. Because they look exactly the same. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, collect the weeds and bundle them together to be burned. And then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. On the surface, you look at this parable and you think, this so-called map is more confusing than the maze itself. But it shows us a reality that we all need to be aware of. We live in a world where evil exists. We live in a world where there are competing kingdoms to God's kingdom. The last line of this whole parable is haunting. And if I'm honest, because we want, to say, we want him to say, yes, go burn it all down. Fix all the problems. Plow the whole thing under and start over. During the first decade of this COVID uh, quarantine, so March, um, I decided that we were going to redo our lawn in the backyard. And so Carrie tells me that I take on a, a new persona called Lawn Brad. And what I did is I said, there's moss here. We're going to be stuck in this house for a while. We might as well have a decent backyard where we can play and not have to worry about thorns and everything. So let's redo the yard. So I went and got a power rake from Home Depot. And I just tore up all the moss and everything that came with it. And then put down new topsoil and new seeds. I was pretty proud of myself. It's like, okay, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to have a fairway right there that I can chip on because golf courses are closed. And this is going to be awesome. And then a couple weeks go by and then the grass starts coming up. And I'm doing my rounds with my coffee one morning. And I'm looking down at the ground and I see grass. And then I see weeds everywhere. And I start getting frustrated. These weren't supposed to be here. This wasn't supposed to happen. Why is there weeds? And I had this temptation. Let's go back and this time. Let's not get a power rake. Let's get a tractor and take the whole thing out and start over. I don't want them. How did those weeds get in the soil? I'm going to torch, torch the yard completely. Even though we rent, I was just going to do it because I wanted grass and weeds. I get annoyed at. But cooler heads and tighter budgets prevailed. That means Carrie won the day. And I decided that instead of bulldozing, I would tend to it. When I saw a weed pop up, I wouldn't take out everything around it. I'd pull that weed out. I would tend to my yard. And I think this is what Jesus is saying here. If we're honest, one outcome we'd like to see is that all evil would be torched. It would be gone out of the world. If God is God, why can't he do that? Or why don't I do that? But instead, what does Jesus say? Or what's the master say? Tend to it. Because as the Darnell grows, you're not going to be able to tell the difference between good and evil until there's a harvest. You're not going to be able to tell the difference between good and evil until you see fruit. And at the same time, it's not necessarily your job to pull out every weed. We like to vanquish all evil. We think we're called to do that, and some might be. 
But God's in charge of judgment, not you and I. And that within this story, and this is, a, this is a small parable, but it challenges us to the core. Because though we are wanting isn't bad, the problem is that it's not always obvious who the weeds are and who they aren't. Telling the difference between good and bad seed isn't our job. Then most of all, we need to learn to do something else. We need to learn to trust the gardener, and he'll make it grow. The only outcome that you can be totally mindful of is you. And while you grow, if you are wheat, while you grow, you must stand in the midst of evil and not be swayed by it. You must be aware of the enemy's plans to sabotage anything good that comes from God and not be swept away by them. It's not a call for an action. Many will read this and say, oh, we just wait for God to come solve everything. That's not what the Bible is saying. It's not a call for an action. In fact, standing strong and waiting for God to move is oftentimes the most you can ever do. Standing strong against temptation, standing strong against evil is not idle activity. It's difficult It's a call to be aware. It's a call to hold fast at the true hope. It's a call to look for the true gospel while you are surrounded by imposters. Yes, the wheat has to wait until harvest, and we have to often wait for evil to be vanquished, but it doesn't mean that we stop growing. It doesn't mean that we give in to the weed's control because only the fruit will make it stand out from the weed and the tear. The tear and the wheat, rather. The fruit is how you see the difference. We can't control the outcomes of evil. But Jesus is keenly aware, and he tells his followers, he tells us, there's evil around you. Your job is to stay faithful and keep moving, grow fruit. I always want to know what to expect when it comes to things like this. I always want to know, when is it going to go away? I want to know how I'm going to feel when it does, and I want to know my part. Jesus is very simple. Your expectations here, grow. Tend to your soil. Tend to your heart. Grow. Dive deep. Make your soil in your life something in which a seed can grow strong. Establish roots so that you're not swayed when evil comes along not only did people want the evil vanquished around them in in this time they also had a specific outcome of what the kingdom of god would look like they wanted evil gone that's the first expectation and then they had this idea that when the kingdom comes it's going to be huge and it's going to just descend and it's going to be a huge tidal wave and everyone will see it watch what jesus says next in Matthew 13, 31 through 32, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of the garden plants. And it becomes a tree, so that the birds may perch in its branches. Another man we see here, Jesus is talking to a culture that knew farming and planting very well. This time he's planting a seed, and this time it's mustard. Now don't get hung up in the details. A mustard seed to them was the smallest seed that they knew of. 
We can look and go, oh, there's smaller seeds than mustard seed. Don't get, don't get tripped by that. It's like saying uh, that back 20 years ago that a TV that was 70 inches wide and an inch and a half thick would never be possible because your reality can't see it. This is all they knew. Mustard seeds were small. And so this is where the fun part, you would, the, the mustard seed gets planted and you would never expect something as big as what comes from a seed that is this small. And then the seed, when it gets planted, becomes a shrub. And the type of mustard that Jesus was talking about never grew past about six feet. So this is, this is what they're expecting. Yes, you plant a mustard seed. It becomes this big bush. That's all it is. But Jesus goes further. It doesn't just stop there. It becomes a huge tree. A tree big enough that it dominates the landscape. And if you caught it, birds can rest in it. So it's not anymore this little tiny shrub that sits in the corner. It becomes this enormous tree that takes over everything around it. The birds are symbolic here. The birds represent people flying in from different parts of the world, different countries, perhaps different faiths that are come and they have an experience with Jesus because of this tree. It's bigger than anyone in Israel would have ever imagined. This little mustard seed, Jesus says, is not just going to be for Israel. It's not just going to be for you and your friends. This kingdom is going to be for the entire world. It's an unexpected outcome. Here they thought that the kingdom of God was just for them, but it's not. It's finding comfort now in this idea that this mustard seed kingdom is for the people that they might not necessarily like. The unexpected outcome of something small, something that has little to no influence, yet transforms the world's landscape. So here you have a group of people hoping and praying that the kingdom of God would come in specific ways, in their specific timelines, with their specific results. And what's Jesus tell them? Stories about seeds. Seeds take time. Seeds are slow. It's not what they can expect. It's not what they are expecting. And it's bigger than anything that they would have ever imagined. Each of these stories tells us something. Unexpected outcome. However, what's the same? Both of these stories are about seeds. Each one of them begins with the master putting the seed into the soil, and then there's a promise of something. Growth. Both of these talk about the unexpected growth that happens when Jesus comes into your life. Or when Jesus' kingdom becomes present. Back in March, uh, uh, when all of this stuff began, I tried to send out a packet to everyone whose address we had. Uh, And inside this letter was a letter from me and then a packet of flower seeds. If you didn't get one, uh, we don't have your address. So if you would like to receive fun things from me, fill out a contact card and you never know what you're going to get. And so when we sent this out, and my whole goal in sending these envelopes when this letter out was that people would take these seeds, plant them somewhere in their house, preferably in a pot. And they'd plant them, and they'd put them there, and they would tend to the seed and water the seed and wait and hope 
for something beautiful to come out of all of this. And so we did that at our house. We made a little flower garden in front and we put, we had six pots and, and we put the seeds in different ones and we planted them and we took care for that, take care of them. And we started watering them every day. And this expectation was as I would stand there and make my coffee and look out the window, I'd see these pots and it would be a reminder of me to hope and have faith that something is brewing in that soil that I can't see. It's taking forever. And there was a time because I realized I'm not very patient and it was discouraging because I would water this pot and I would make sure that it was in sunlight. And then like a week later, nothing. I'm like, what is going on? What's taking so long? I thought about kind of digging around in it and making sure it was actually still there. It seemed like months went by, but we resisted. I resisted the temptation of doing that. And I kept watering, kept hoping that eventually these seeds would break through the soil And eventually it did. It bloomed and it was awesome and it was beautiful. And the reminder that these tiny seeds that were planted would make something that I'd never expected. These orange flowers started to come up and they took control of this little flower bed and it was gorgeous. I never expected that it would happen. I watered it. I made sure it was in a place that it would get light. I kept the dangers of my house away from there because I have two little ones that wanted to put Hot Wheels with the seeds so that they can play with cars and not get bored. And so, I mean, these seeds took on a persona. But we cared for those seeds with the hope that one day it would bloom. Here's what Jesus is implying. This mustard seed kingdom and all of the great things that come with it, peace, wholeness, truth, Love, compassion, justice has been planted with you, within you and I. With the promise that one day it would manifest itself and bloom with the unique power and beauty of the kingdom. It doesn't happen like that. It happens slowly and inconspicuously like a mustard seed. But the hope is once it starts to bloom... It takes over every single aspect of your life, like the mustard seed took over every single aspect of the garden. And as we allow Christ's character to be formed into us, as we allow his kingdom to enter into our lives and take over our lives, as we think and act more like Jesus, other people will come to know the influence of the mustard tree. And then they would make comfort in its branches and eventually have a mustard seed in their heart that grows. And their hearts would be won over to the true king of kings. However, here's the problem. We must allow the kingdom to grow in us and through us first. We need to surrender our kingdoms and our allegiances and submit to God's loving rule and submit to God's kingdom to be planted into our innermost being. From there, then the Holy Spirit continually teaches us to yield. The kingdom moves slowly and then takes over our hearts, our minds, and finally our behavior. Do you notice what the last thing is there? It's your behavior. That's the fruit. That comes last. You have to allow the Spirit of God to to penetrate your soul 
Plant the seed in the middle of it. Awaken your spirit. And then your behavior is changed. It takes time. There's a lot of things that happen underground before a seed blooms. And as we learn to think and feel underneath God's rule, we learn to get our worth and our significance and our security from Christ alone. We learn how to be freed from our addictions. We learn how to be freed from trying trying to acquire worth and significance and security from ourselves and for ourselves. We learn how to walk in freedom, freedom from violence, freedom from self-centeredness, freedom from materialism, nationalism, racism, all the false ways that a lot of people get life. When the seed sprouts within us, we find the true life. And as we do this, Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4, we die to our old self. We put on our new self, created in Christ Jesus, learning to be loved, learning how to love, both ourselves and our neighbor. And as the mustard seed grows within us, we'll be able to see the fruit. While the mustard seed kingdom continues to grow slowly, we'll see our relationships changed. The mustard seed kingdom is a community where men and women are regarded as equals. Galatians 3.27 says this, For you were baptized into Christ Jesus, having clothed yourself with Christ. There is no Jew, no Gentile, no slave, no free, nor male, female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In our, in our kingdoms, we see hierarchy. But when the mustard seed kingdom takes root in your life, you don't see yourself as above anybody else. Why? Because at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. And in God's kingdom, we are equal. There is none better than the other. When the mustard seed continues to grow within us, We'll see the walls that divide us taken down. Right now, we have a very divided culture, right? There's right, there's left. We're divided among racial lines, economic lines, social lines, jobs. We know who we're not allowed to talk to. Social media, you know who you block. You know who you listen to. You know who you roll your eyes at. Thankfully, it's virtually, so they can't see you. And many people are rolling their eyes at me right now, and I can't see them. But we know this. But in the mustard seed kingdom, those things that divide us are gone. Look what Paul says in Ephesians 2.14. It comes here. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Those things that have kept you separated are now bringing unity because of Jesus. Because Jesus' kingdom provides a beautiful alternative to the social structures that keep people in this world separate. As the mustard seed grows within us, we don't crave power. We don't crave control. But rather, we turn into a community or a person where people have the same attitude as Jesus. And we place others' interests in front of ours. Look what the Bible says in Philippians 2, 4 through 5. Paul is talking about what our lives should look like. Verse 4, not looking to your own self-interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mind mindset, that's supposed to say as, Christ Jesus. Live in love as Christ loved them and gave himself up for them. 
This is what we are to, to be mindful of. This is how we're supposed to live. When the kingdom of God takes root in your life, this is a behavior that happens. Jesus' kingdom provides a beautiful alternative to power structures the world of the world and exposes us to the self-centered ugliness that we see all around us. This is what we're called to be. In the midst of a field where there's evil all around us, in the midst of a field where there's people who are wicked and righteous that grow next to each other, you and I are called to embody a kingdom that is characterized by the radical revolutionary love of Jesus, a community that displays the love of God, a community that strives for justice, not by conquering, but by willing, being willing to suffer. Why? Because that's the same way Jesus conquered injustice. A community that God uses to transform the world by providing it with an alternative to its self-centered, violent way of existing. How socially and politically revolutionary would it be if we as disciples of Christ began to live to that calling. Because this seed that's in the ground is already inside of you. It's already begun. This kingdom that we are supposed to embody is not Republican. It's not Democrat. It's not about any of the issues which any party espouses. What's it, what it is about is about the surrender that comes when we give up our agendas, when we give up our outcomes, it's about seeing Jesus as he is, not as we want him to be. And we allow ourselves to be transformed. The kingdom of God is here. It's in you. It's not something we're waiting for. It's now. And it's growing inside of you. And like that first parable, how do we tend to it? to make it grow so that we produce the fruit that the kingdom of God brings. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that in the midst of chaos, we have hope. In the midst of competing kingdoms, we see you and the seeds that you have planted within us in order to change the world to your specific outcome and your desired outcome and not ours. Father, may we surrender to you our ideas. May we surrender to you our agendas. May we surrender to you this idea of what we think you should look like. May we stop making you in our own image and see you for who you really are. May we expect the unexpected from you, God. May your kingdom come and may your will be done here in us as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.